Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Curtis, your tour guide. Are you ready? I am so excited. We are going to go on an ultimate extravagant road trip through the southern states. We're going to learn U.S. geography the fun way on the road trip. So pack your suitcase, grab your gear, and let's go. On our whirlwind tour of the southern states, you're going to experience the warmth of southern hospitality, along with some hot, sticky weather. Don't forget the suntan lotion and a hat. Oh, and get you some bug spray, too. We're going to start in Florida to head up I-95 or travel by boat to Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. From Williamsburg, we'll take I-64, U.S. 17, and U.S. 211 to Skyline Drive. Then we'll make our way across West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi via interstates and country roads. Finally, we're going to take a steamboat in in Louisiana up the Mississippi River to Arkansas. So if you want to follow along with an atlas, you can. If you want to just jot down road names and look at them up later, this is going to be a wonderful trip. And you know what? We could take a year to explore the beautiful southern states, but we just have time to hit a few highlights. So if you have an atlas, can you see a map of Florida on your atlas? Do you notice that Florida has water on three sides? That's because Florida is a peninsula. A peninsula has water on three sides. Well, our trip begins in the lower, that bottom part of the Florida peninsula, in something called the Everglades. So here we go. We're on an airboat surrounded by grass and water, all kinds of grasses in fact. Everything looks pretty swampy. I see some alligators sunning on the little hammocks or islands. Other alligators are swimming nearby. Yikes. Our tour guide draws our attention away from the alligators to the birds. He points out a flamingo, an ibis, an osprey, a sandhill crane, a hawk, a kingfisher, and an owl. Then he hands us binoculars so we can see a tiny hummingbird a hundred yards away. The birds are beautiful, but I can't help notice how close that alligator is. I hope the boat doesn't turn over. Luckily, we're on an airboat, and they are made for this kind of water. Our tour guide suddenly interrupts our thoughts. If you had snake boots, we could wade over to see that little hummingbird. To be honest, I'm grateful that we forgot our snake boots. (laughs) So where are we? We're in the Everglades. It's a giant river of grass. And what do I mean by that? Well, the Kissimmee River, yes, Kissimmee is where Disney World is. It flows south into Lake Okeechobee. That's that big map on the map of Florida, and a river of grass flows out of Lake Okeechobee and empties into the Miami Bay, which, of course, is near Miami, and you can probably see Miami, if not the Miami Bay, on your map. 
The Everglades is the largest subtropical wilderness in the whole United States, and these slow-moving wetlands cover most of South Florida. Now, here's what's interesting. <clears throat> this is a moving river, but it's only one foot deep. However, it's 60 miles wide and over 100 miles long. Now, as the water slowly moves, and remember, it's very slow moving. It's not a fast river. It's very slow moving. In fact, if you're out in the Everglades, there's a lot of parts that you won't even realize are moving. But anyway, because it's moving, it leaves behind deposits in the soil and the area that is land, um, like where the hammocks are and things like that. That is great for farming. And there's a lot of farmers in the Everglades that grow sugar cane and rice and strawberries and sweet corn. In fact, Florida grows a ton of fruits and vegetables. And a lot of them grow in this wonderful Everglades soil. Now, as well, oranges grow in Florida, but they do not grow in the Everglades. They need a drier area. And so they they grow more near the oceans. From this freshwater lake, Okeechobee, to the saltwater in Miami Bay, there are so many different wet landforms. And the deeper watery spots are called sloughs. And they are the main channel of the flow of water. So normally, if you're talking about wet areas like lakes and ponds and stuff, a slow is a really shallow part of the lake. But it's so funny because it is a shallow part of the lake, but in the Everglades, it's the deep part. So that's pretty neat. And there are cypress trees that grow in watery soil. They they look like they're growing out of deep water because when you're in the Everglades, sometimes when you see the water, you think, oh, my goodness, this is so deep. But they're growing right out of the water, these cypress trees. They're so cool. And then there's these little islands. They're called hammocks. And trees will grow on them, like oak trees or pine trees. And there's a special kind of pine tree that grows in the Everglades. It's called a slash pine. And what happens is in the dry season, because in the Everglades and in most of Florida, they don't have the four seasons like you have over the rest of the country, but you have the wet season, that's the summer or hurricane season, and you have the dry season. And in the dry season, there's a lot of fires in the Everglades, but they don't hurt the slash pine. So the slash pine just keeps growing and growing. So... You'll also see mangrove trees that can grow in salty water. And so as we're heading, as the river of grass is heading down to Miami Bay, the water is going to get saltier and saltier. And down near the end, it's an estuary, which is a mix of salt and fresh water. So in that area, you might find dolphins and manatees and alligators all together in the same place. It's so cool. The Everglades is just such a cool place. But I'm so sorry to tell you that our tour guide is bringing us back to the dock, and we are off on our next adventure. We'll take some country roads and make our way to I-95, and then we are going to travel up the East Coast. We're going to go to St. Augustine, but First, since we're in Florida, we have to stop at Publix because Publix makes the very best subs. 
What is Publix? It's a grocery store chain. And along with Winn-Dixie, these two grocery stores were founded in Florida, so they're really special to Floridians. Now, as we make our way up I-95, we're going to come to St. Augustine. And what is so exciting about St. Augustine is that it's the oldest continuously inhabited city in the U.S. It's older than all the British colonial cities. It's older than Charleston. It's older than Savannah. It's older than Philadelphia. St. Augustine was settled by the Spanish, and it was named after one of my favorite Christian heroes, St. Augustine of Hippo. So there's a huge fort there that you can see for free. And every time we go to St. Augustine, we always go visit it. And you can look out over the water. It's really, really pretty. But there's so much more there. There are so many shops. There's so many restaurants. There's so many little museums. And there's a lot of living museums, too, where you can see blacksmiths work and silversmiths and tinsmiths and wheelwrights. And it's just really, really cool. So. That we've got to spend a whole day in St. Augustine, but it's already late because we've been in the Everglades. So let's stay at a bed and breakfast overlooking the water, and then we'll get up in the morning, we'll see the fort, we'll tour St. Augustine, and hopefully we'll be able to get off pretty early. And before we go head up I-95 to Savannah, Georgia, why don't we stop at Sunny's Barbecue? Sunny's Barbecue is another restaurant that was founded in Florida. And one thing that's so cool is that barbecue is so Southern. So every state in the South has its own barbecue sauce, its own special barbecue flavor. And the um, Louisville barbecue, they make it with mutton. You'll notice that the Florida barbecue, Sunny's Barbecue sauce is very sweet, but in in South Carolina, they have mustard in their barbecue sauce, and it's called Carolina Gold. So think about that as we're going through the South. We're always going to pass barbecue restaurants. Always, always, always. Well, anyway, I see a welcome to Georgia sign, and we are here in Georgia. Georgia looks so much like Florida as you get into it at the very beginning. But one thing that there's a lot more of in Georgia than in Florida, Florida has a few barrier islands, but Georgia has a ton of them. In fact, they line the coast and they have big and small ones. You're asking me, what is a barrier island? Well, a barrier island is a long strip of sand that lies parallel to the coast. So, yes, it is an island, but it's an island made of sand. And it's as if it was part of the sand. But now it's its own island as erosion and things wear away. So anyway, there's a lot of them. They're great because they protect the coast. And there's barrier islands in front of covering almost all of Georgia, almost all of South Carolina. And then there's more barrier islands in North Carolina, too. But in Georgia, the biggest barrier island is called Cumberland Island. And it has wild horses living on it, which I think is so cool. But we don't have time to go there because we've got to pull off for some gas and then get to Savannah. But once we pull off from gas for gas, since we're in Georgia, we will see a roadside stand near the gas station. And guess what it's selling? Remember, this is Georgia. Yep, 
It's selling peaches, pecans, and boiled peanuts. If you have not had boiled peanuts, you have to try some now. We also might want to stop at Chick-fil-A or Waffle House for lunch because Chick-fil-A and Waffle House were both founded in, you got it, Georgia. So we get back on the road and soon we're in Savannah. Savannah is a very old city. In fact, Savannah and Charleston were both busy port cities in colonial times. Savannah is still a busy port, but it's much more known as a popular tourist attraction. It's got lovely old buildings, brick roads, and just I love the historic district. It's like stepping back in time. And one thing about Savannah is that it's laid out in squares with a green in the middle square surrounded by homes and buildings and houses, churches. One thing that people love to do in Savannah is walk along the riverfront, and the riverfront runs along the Savannah River. The Savannah River is actually the boundary between South Carolina and Georgia. So now here we are. We're going to get on a boat. We're going to go to TB Island, and we're going to get on a boat. TB Island is very close to Savannah. We're going to get on a boat here. And we are going to sail up to Charleston on a boat. Now, where we get on the boat at Tybee Island, it's really close to the mouth of the Savannah River. And the mouth is where the river empties into the an ocean or a sea or a bay or a gulf. So we're going to pass Hilton Head Island and several barrier islands as we travel up the intercoastal waterway. So we're not going to go out into the main ocean. We're going to travel up between these barrier islands and the the land, the mainland. So what is the intercoastal waterway? Well, this is so cool. Because there's so many barrier islands surrounding the south, especially in the Gulf of Mexico and up the Atlantic Ocean, they actually found that it was much safer for ships to sail up that way between the barrier islands and the mainland than to go out in the open ocean where there's more likely to be storms. Remember, I said the barrier islands are really protective of the mainland. Well, some engineers, the the Army Corps of Engineers, who are just a fascinating group, if you ever want to do a little rabbit trail and learn about them, They actually built canals to connect all these waterways between the barrier islands and the mainland so that you can actually travel all the way up the East Coast in the intercoastal waterway from the tip of Florida all the way up to Massachusetts. So isn't that so cool? I just love that. And when we're passing on the intercoastal waterway, we're going to pass some barrier islands where the Gula live. And these people are so cool because they're, they're originally descendants from West Africa. And while they were slaves, they kept their culture alive. And after they became free, they kept their culture alive. And that includes their food, their language. They have a language that is called Gula Geechee. And 
it's kind of a mixture of African, West African and English, just very interesting. But they have their own style of food and they do a lot of cooking with peas and yams and um, different meats. Anyway, it's very good. And so while we're here, I think we should just stop and we should get some artwork maybe they do a lot of crafting like their baskets are beautiful we could get a basket maybe or something pretty to take home to your family but we have to taste their food it's really really good okay well we'll keep moving because soon we're going to be in charleston and this was one of the largest british colonial cities in fact boston new york and philadelphia and charleston were the biggest cities in colonial times. So this port is super busy. Even today, it's super busy. But people love to come to Charleston because it has beautiful old homes, museums, and art galleries. And one thing that I love about the history of Charleston is that the French Huguenots, and I'll tell you who they are in a second, a lot of them settled in Charleston. And who were they? Well, the French Huguenots were people who had embraced the Reformation teaching. And, you know, France never really embraced the Reformation. And so those Christians really had a hard time. And they were persecuted by the rest of the people in France who were devoted Roman Catholics. And so these French Huguenots, they came over to Charleston and they brought with them French culture They brought with them their faith, and they built a church in those colonial days. And guess what? That church is still there. The last time I went to Charleston, I said, I've got to see if there's a Huguenot church. And I looked for it, and sure enough, there was. And that got me so excited because they really made such an impact that there's actually, when you go visit historic Charleston, there is a French quarter there, and you can um, tour that. So it's so, so exciting. Well, I want to stay in Charleston, so this is what I think we should do. Let's find one of the old-fashioned inns in the historic district, and we'll go in, we'll spend the night, and we'll get up early the next morning. Next morning, we're leaving for North Carolina, and there's so much I want to show you in North Carolina. I want to show you the extravagant, lovely Biltmore in Asheville. I want to show you Cherokee, where the Cherokee Nation originally lived, though most of them now live in Oklahoma. I wanted to show you the little Moravian town of Salem, but they're all way inland. And we're going to stay out. We're going to stay in the intercoastal waterway, and we're going to go up through North Carolina until we get to Kitty Hawk. And you know why we're going to Kitty Hawk, don't you? because of two men named Orville and Wilbur. Orville and Wilbur Wright owned a bicycle shop in Ohio, but when they were little boys, their dad brought them a present when he was away on a business trip, and it was a glider. And those little boys loved that glider, and it gave them such an imagination that they decided they wanted to try to fly a plane. And so they moved to Kitty Hawk near Kill Devil Hills and Nags Head on the outer banks of North Carolina. And they began experimenting with flight. And they actually were the first 
to fly an airplane. But they didn't stop there. They got busy and they started a business training people to fly airplanes and also another business making airplanes. So they not only were they inventors, but they were entrepreneurs. And there's a whole national park just for them in commemoration of that. So we can go, we can pop off the intercoastal waterway, go see um, Kitty Hawk, and then we'll get right back on. And now we are going to head up to Virginia. And in Virginia, we're going to, we're going, the way the intercoastal waterway works, and if you have a map, you can look at it, but it, it goes inland a little as we're crossing the boundary lines from North Carolina to Virginia. It's going in a little and it's going to just swing by Norfolk. And we're going to go up the James River. And this is what is so cool, because guess where the first English settlers went? They came across the Atlantic. They started sailing into the Chesapeake Bay, turning right up the James River. And they they stopped and they, they made a little place to live called Jamestown, right? And we are going to go visit three places in Virginia, Jamestown, Yorktown, and Williamsburg. Now, Jamestown is going to give us a clue of this original place where they landed, where the, the original settlement where they landed. They did not realize they had gotten, they had started to build their homes in a swamp. And so they ended up battling mosquitoes and sickness, and it was hard to um, grow crops and things like that. But they ended up moving it a little bit. But this place, when you go, it just gives you an image of the houses they built, and they reconstructed all of this from pictures. Well, uh, for a long time, Jamestown was the biggest. Uh, the For a long time, Jamestown was the capital. But then they moved the capital to Williamsburg. But we're the, so Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown are all really close together. But since Williamstown, Williamsburg is the most exciting, I'm going to have us go to Yorktown next. Now, Yorktown happened during the Revolutionary War. It's a town. It's, it was then. It's still a town. But in Yorktown, that was the decisive battle that after that battle, the British had lost. And that's when General George, General Cornwallis surrendered to General George Washington. And that was a decisive victory for the Americans. And after that, the war was pretty much over, not finally over, but it was pretty sealed. And so you can go and you can, you can watch a video there. You can see cannons there, just different artifacts. There's a museum. That's a really fun place to to see. Now now we're going to go back a little bit. So we were, you know, colonial, first landing settlement, then the Revolutionary War. Now we're going to go back to colonial times and visit Colonial Williamsburg. And that there's just nothing in the world like Colonial Williamsburg. It is such an amazing place. They have so many people there 
that are fully dressed. They walk around. They have tinsmiths, blacksmiths, wheelwrights. They have um, churches that you can go into, meeting halls, the governor's palace. There's just so much to see there. The restaurants are all authentic, and the people who serve you are dressed in authentic costumes. It is like stepping back in time. It is such a cool, cool place. So we're going to spend the rest of the day there. Then we're going to spend the night, spend a little time there. And then when you have, when you're ready, we're going to head west. So I hope you've enjoyed Williamsburg and Jamestown and Yorktown. And now we could, if we had time, visit the homes of eight presidents who were born in Virginia. Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, William Henry Harrison, Zachary Taylor, John Tyler, and Woodrow Wilson were all born in Virginia, but we just don't have time to see them. So instead, we're going to jump on I-64 and we're going to head west to Skyline Drive. Once we get to Waynesboro, Virginia, we have to make a choice. We can turn left and go south to the Blue Ridge Parkway, or we can turn right and go north to Skyline Drive. Now, the Blue Ridge Parkway is free, and there's a toll on the on this on Skyline Drive. The Virginia Park, the Blue Ridge Parkway goes all the way down through the Blue Ridge Mountains to Smoky National Park in North Carolina. It's over 400 miles long, where Skyline Drive is only 100 miles, but we do have to pay that toll. I think we'll go on Skyline Drive because there are campgrounds and restaurants and resorts, and there's even the Appalachian Trail in on Skyline Drive. So what we'll do is we'll drive for a while, then we'll stop and camp. We can spend a whole day hiking, then we'll drive back down to Waynesboro, Virginia. So here we go. After a day in the Appalachian Mountains, we are going to head west again on I-64. But before we leave Virginia, we have to stop at a Five Guys because, you know, Five Guys restaurant started in Arlington, Virginia. While on our way to Kentucky, we are going to detour for a whole day up U.S. 19 to Glen Sheen, West Virginia. While we're there, we're going to go rafting on the New River Gorge. And we're also going to do some hiking in New River Gorge National Park and Preserve. West Virginia is so beautiful. There was a song when I was young by John Denver, and it was called Country Roads Take Me Home. And it was all about the beauty of West Virginia. But another thing about West Virginia that you may not know is that West Virginia is a great place to get good Southern food. And so let's stop at a restaurant and get some good southern cooking would you like some fried chicken chicken fried steak collard greens cornbread slaw dogs pepperoni rolls what slaw dogs are really popular in west virginia and they're hot dogs with chili and coleslaw on them and pepperoni rolls are just rolls with little bits of pepperoni in them we could also get buttermilk pie or cobbler Whatever you want in the way of Southern cooking, they make it in West Virginia. So once we 
we've had our time in West Virginia. We're going to take I-64 West. We're still going west. And then take I-75 and go up to see the Ark Encounter in Williamstown, Kentucky. Now, in Williamstown, Kentucky, the Ark Encounter is a theme park. It is based on the Bible description of Noah's Ark. And it is a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. It's 85 feet wide and 51 feet high. And they have a zoo. You can go zip lining. And they have a really nice restaurant. So we'll definitely spend a day there because I don't know about you, but I want to imagine what it was like for Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, what it was like to be on the ark with all those animals. I have not been there yet, but I really am excited to go there with you now. About an hour south is the Creation Museum, and I'd love to stop there too. I just love Answers in Genesis. Speaking of creation, one of my favorite creations in the U.S. is Mammoth Cave. It's the largest cave system in the whole world. So we're going to head down I-75 south until we get to the Bluegrass Parkway, and we're going to take Kentucky 9002 and then I-65 and Kentucky 70 to Mammoth Cave. Yes, I know that's a lot of roads. There is so much to do at Mammoth Cave. I'd really like for us to take a tour and then do some hiking. You see, there's 400 miles of caves that they've discovered, but they think there's probably 600 more miles they haven't yet discovered. Isn't that so cool? So one thing I love in Mammoth Cave, or any cave really, is the stalactocytes and the stalagmites. The stalactocytes form when water dissolves overlying limestone and redeposits calcium carbonate along the ceilings. So when they're forming, water starts dripping down, and when it drips down, it does the exact same thing on the bottom, causing a stalactite to grow up. So you've got these icicle-looking things growing down, and then they start growing up, and if they come together, it forms a column. So the caves are super cool, and they are cold. I'm glad we brought a jacket. But since we didn't get to zip line in New River Gorge, West Virginia, we could do it here at Mammoth Cave, not in the cave, but outside of the cave. And I think we should camp in the park. So let's go ahead and we'll, we'll go zip lining and maybe horseback riding and then we'll camp. Oh, I'm exhausted so far. Are you? We have been through so many states. We've spent the night in so many different places. We've eaten in so many different places. And now we're going to find our way back to I-65 and go to Nashville. Yep, we can't miss Nashville. After all, it's the capital of country music. We can go to a concert at the Grand Ole Opry after dinner. And meanwhile, we can meander around Nashville and stop and eat some Nashville hot fried chicken. Have you ever heard of Nashville hot fried chicken? It's super spicy. They have a really hot spicy sauce that they put over the fried chicken, and it is really good. But you need to eat it with bread to soak up the spiciness. 
As soon as we finish in, in Nashville, we're going to go on to Pigeon Forge in the Smoky Mountains. When we, we're going to head east on I-40 to 66 South, and that will take us to the beautiful Pigeon Forge. When we get to Pigeon Forge, I'd like to start with a hike and then take a tour of the Titanic. Yep, there is a Titanic in the middle of the Smoky Mountains. It's just a replica, though, and a museum. But one thing that you get to do there that I think is so super cool is they let you put your hand in 28 degrees freezing salt water to see what the survivors of the Titanic had to endure. Wow, I cannot believe anyone even survived. While we're there, it would be really fun to grab dinner at the Old Mill restaurant, and we could visit the island and get a hotel room. Then we can spend the whole day tomorrow on rides and looking for souvenirs. Well, have you had enough time on the ride yet? Because it's time to move on. We're on to Alabama. Huntsville is home to the largest space museum in the world, and the space industry was birthed in Huntsville at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center. We'll spend the morning in Huntsville at the Space Flight Center, and then we're going to head down to Tuskegee. We'll head down I-65 and across US-280. I love Tuskegee Institute. Booker T. Washington is one of my heroes. He was a godly Christian man. He had such a heart for the Lord and such a heart for our country. And he had such a heart for freed black slaves like himself. And so what he did is he managed to get an education, which was hard in those days for a black man. And then he founded a Christian college for freed blacks in 1881. He made sure that his students did chores. They had church service every morning, and they learned a trade along with their studies so that wherever they went, they were sure to have success. He invited his friend, George Washington Carver, to come and teach at the, the college, which is now a university, and he did all that famous work with the peanut and with the sweet potato. So next time you eat a peanut butter sandwich, thank George Washington Carver. Anyway, after Booker T. Washington retired, the next person who took his place founded the Tuskegee Airmen Flight Training Program. That was during World War II, and the first black fighter pilots were trained at Tuskegee Institute. They were amazing heroes and were highly decorated in the war. And there's actually a Tuskegee Airmen historic site at Morton Field. And we can also see the George Washington Carver Museum. So I hope you've really enjoyed our time at Tuskegee. We'll probably need to spend the night here. And in the morning, we can get up and we're going to head south, 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 I-85 and I-65 and a bunch of country roads. And we're going to get ourselves down to Gulf Shores National Seashore. Gulf Shores National Seashore actually spans three states, Florida, Alabama, and Mississippi. But it's made up of, of a bunch of barrier islands, none from Alabama, some from Florida, some from Mississippi, 
but they're not straight in a row. They're kind of like, there's some here, there's some here, there's some here. And it's just absolutely beautiful. The beaches are unspoiled. We could go sailing. We could go swimming. We could go snorkeling. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. And I think that it would be, it would be very interesting while we're here. We're also going to pass Mobile, Mobile, Alabama, Mobile Bay. And one of the things I think is so interesting about Mobile Bay is that in that bay and surrounding that bay, there's four unique habitats. There's a river delta. There's a bay. There's a barrier island. There's barrier islands. And there's the Gulf of Mexico. Now, I've already told you what barrier islands are, but a river delta is it's it's a it's a piece of land that's shaped like a triangle and what happens is as a, at a, the mouth of a river and i told you about the mouth of a river as a river empties into the ocean or gulf like in this case it's a river emptying into the gulf of mexico as it's emptying it's leaving a lot of sediment behind and that sediment actually builds up and makes a triangle and this triangle is very large and very swampy and the bay is a large curved body of water extending into the land from a sea or gulf so the bay it almost looks like someone just took their hand and kind of pushed some of the land in Alabama in and gave you the Mobile Bay. And the Gulf is just a very, very large bay. So we're going to pass Mobile Bay. And then we're going to travel by Mississippi. And the last island in Gulf Shore National Park is called Cat Island. So Cat Island is um, very close to Biloxi. Across the way, that's a very big um seaside town they have gambling there they have all kinds of shows and stuff like that but we're just going to find a quiet little hotel on cat island and spend the night because in the morning we are going to new orleans now new orleans is not very far from the gulf of mexico it's a port city on the mississippi river and it's surrounded by swamp and really close to the Louisiana Bayou. So you can, when you're staying in New Orleans, you can, you can go about five or 10 minutes and rent an airboat and go out into the swamp like we did in the beginning when we were in the Everglades. But I want you to, to just get a little taste of New Orleans. It's a very interesting city. One of the things about New Orleans that you should know is it's built below sea level. So flooding happens there all the time, even though they've done everything they can with dikes and barriers to try to keep the water out. If there's a storm, New Orleans gets flooded. But New Orleans is a multi-language. People speak so many languages. There's so many different cultures that have just come and melded together and while we're here, I just want you to get a taste for all of those different cultures and maybe even taste some Cajun or Creole food. But it's just a beautiful, beautiful city. And it, it's just got a life all of its own.
But what I want to do here in New Orleans is get on a steamboat. And we're going to ride up the Mississippi River. We'll pass Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Vicksburg, Mississippi, Memphis, Tennessee, and finally we'll reach our destination in Arkansas. You know, steamboats in the 1800s, they carried the crops to market and they they brought supplies to the farms. So the Mississippi River was like a big highway. It's like the I-95 of yesteryear. And the smaller rivers were like roads too. So when people built their homes on those rivers, they faced the river because that's where they got their mail. That's where they got their supplies. That's where they sent off their produce that they were growing on their farms. So steam power would move the steamboats forward by causing these huge paddle wheels or propellers to turn. Now, today we have trucks and we have trains, but steamboats still travel up and down the Mississippi River. It's very old fashioned. It's a very leisurely place, but it's such a neat way to see the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River is probably the most important river in the United States. It's the second longest, and it is it it was a hub of transportation and industry in the 1800s, and and because of that, there's so many important cities along the way, and it's just we could stop at any of those cities and just get off and kind of sightsee a little, but we are going to finally end our trip at Helena, Arkansas and catch a bus to Hot Springs. Now, as we're driving to Hot Springs, you will notice farmland, hills, mountains. It's just beautiful. They call Arkansas the natural state, and now you can see why. It's just a beautiful state. Now, we're going to Hot Springs because Hot Springs has been a popular destination for people all over the United States. It's Arkansas's famous place, Hot Springs, Arkansas. And what would happen is that people would visit because they have these hot springs that are naturally heated from under the ground. So we can get in one of these springs. They're nice and warm. It's like getting into a hot tub, only you don't have to make it hot. It just is hot on its own. So isn't that so cool? And if it's too warm for us, because it actually is the summer, we can bathe in one of the pools or lakes or waterfalls nearby. It's really a beautiful state, and there's so many state parks. There's so many um, national parks. The one thing we have to do before we leave in Arkansas is try fried pickles and possum pie. And I'm not going to tell you what possum pie is. You'll have to find out. But I will tell you. It's not made from possum. Well, we have toured in a whirlwind 12 southern states. And now I think it's time to call an Uber. We'll take an Uber to the Little Rock Airport to fly home. It's been a great trip. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that this inspired you to learn geography by traveling, by going to different places, getting out, taking a road trip. Or if you can't take a road trip, take a road trip from your house, from your family room. And we have a brand new 
our geography, U.S. geography curriculum called God Bless the USA. And it goes through different regions of the country. It touches on every state, but we travel from place to place. And I think that you will really, really enjoy our series. You can purchase it at powerlineprod.com. Thank you for joining me on this trip. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. 